0: Thank you very much, Madam patience adu First of all, I want to thank the organizers, the Ghana Young Generation in Nuclear for inviting me and also for for putting up such an elaborate program. So I'm speaking on the role of medical application of nuclear in improving healthcare post-COVID-19. So I, these are the learning objectives of the presentation. We will look at some sources of radiation exposure Worldwide cancer incidents. Then we will go into details on medical exposure and we'll look at the various nuclear techniques that are used in medicine. And then we'll look at the international framework and come down to the national framework. I think in the morning there was the director of the, uh, the Director General of the Nuclear Regulatory Authority who gave you the Ghanaian Nuclear Regulatory Infrastructure. And then we'll come to the COVID-19, has been done during COVID-19 and what we expect to be doing. So the sources of ionizing radiation, we have natural sources and artificial sources. So for natural sources, for instance, as we walk in the sun, we are exposed to cosmic radiation. So this is natural. When we take some food samples like potassium, like cassava, banana, plantain, we we, we get potassium-40. So this occurs from some food samples. We also have artificial sources. And artificial sources, medical has been reported to give us the largest contribution, about 20% contribution. Now, according to Globacom, Globacom is a source of data when it comes to cancer incidents and all these things. And for the male, for the females, according to the Global, the Globacom 2020 data, about majority of the females have been exposed to the cancer incident that is estimated, breast cancer is the largest, followed by other cancers. Next slide, please. And for the male, we have prostate cancer and other cancers for the lung cancer, following in that order. For the worldwide cancer incidence, it is estimated that about 18.1 million new cases. Next slide, please. About 18.1 new cases will be reported globally. So when we take, next slide, please. So when we take all these things into consideration, next slide, please. Next one. So when we take all these things into consideration, so there's the need for us to have an idea about how best we could protect ourselves in the application of uh, 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 all this ionizing radiation. Now the International Commission on Radiological Protection is one of the key agencies that formulates policies and the principles behind radiation protection. So they have defined the categories of exposure. We have three main categories of exposure. We have what you call occupational exposure. So occupational exposure is exposure which arises as a result of your authorized work, which brings you into contact with ionizing radiation, apart from existing natural background radiation. The natural background radiation, like those from the cosmic rays from the sun, from the radon from the earth crust, and some food samples. So any practice, so for instance, if you are a radiographer and you are working in an H3 department, that is your authorized work. And this may introduce some additional sources of exposure to you. So you are classified as occupationally exposed person. And we also have medical exposure. Medical exposure is, as a result, for purposes of medical or dental diagnosis or treatment. So if, for instance, you have been coughing for the past three days, one week, you go to the hospital and you are still coughing, the doctor may request that I need a chest X-ray for me to assess your lungs, and other conditions. It is to assist the doctor to arrive at a confident diagnosis. So this is medical exposure. Or the use of ionizing radiation, and also for dental radiography. So sometimes if you have a problem with your teeth, and you visit the dentist, they may take a radiograph of your mouth to assess how the teeth is performing. And finally also, when cancerous cells, cancerous cells are cells that grow uncontrollably and we use ionizing radiation and other means to treat them, which we call radiotherapy. So anybody who is subjected to exposure either for diagnosis or treatment is undergoing medical exposure. And the last category are public exposure. These are people whose exposure is neither due to medical or occupational. So that is public exposure. Next slide, please. So as indicated, medical exposure is the largest contributor when it comes to artificial sources of ionizing radiation. And this has created a lot of anxiety among you and I and all other health professionals and uh, members of the nuclear industry because there is the potential of risks, especially in high-dose procedures such as computer tomography and image-guided interventional procedures. The risk of exposure could be potentially high. And we have a special class of population also like for pediatrics, children. And for pediatrics, they have an increase with the sensitivity of developing uh, organs. Their cells are rapidly developing. So, and they are also expected to have a longer lifespan if everything is okay as compared to adults. And there is also the possibility of repeated examinations in their lifetime. So, for them, the risk could be, potentially high and because of that, there is a higher call of justification for for, for them. So now what is the current use of radiation in medicine? Next slide please. Every year, according to ONSCIA, ONSCIA is the United Nations Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation. So it's one of the specialized committees of the United Nations and it is a source of global database when it comes to how ionizing radiation is utilized for all procedures. And according to them, we have about 4 billion diagnostic procedures being done annually, followed by 35 million nuclear medicine procedures and about 8 million radiotherapy treatment courses. So clearly, as population increases, as technology increases, these procedures will continue to increase. And when these procedures continue to increase, it means we also have to step up uh, how best we can all protect ourselves. One of the reasons is that more machines are being introduced. And when we take Ghana, for instance, next slide, please. When we take Ghana, for instance, the number of diagnostic imaging equipment, the mushrooming of private diagnostic imaging facilities, for instance, has increased over the the last 20 years. So now it's not only major hospitals, both private hospitals and private diagnostic centers are having imaging equipment. So more machines are coming. For instance, now in, in, in conventional radiography, for instance, we are in a transition from screen film radiography to digital. And we have a lot of equipment that are coming in. There is also the, the, the new equipment has come with better care. Okay, for instance, in CT, for instance, when CT technology started about 50 years ago, we had single slice. Now we have several slices, and an acquisition of a CT image can be done in sub-milliseconds. Now, the volume of data that is generated is also very enormous. And with this, the physician has a lot of information at his or a disposal to make a diagnosis. There are other hybrid modalities that have also come. When we talk about, we talk about hybrid imaging, a combination of one or two imaging modalities. So for instance, S3 and ultrasound, SPET. CT and SPECT and SPECT CT, PET CT. So, the, the combination of one or more imaging modalities to arrive at a confident diagnosis. And in radiotherapy, too, a lot of complex radiotherapy procedures have emerged from IMRT and other advanced procedures. Next slide, please. So, these are the three main areas by which nuclear technique can be used in medicine radiology services or diagnostic radiology, nuclear medicine, and radiotherapy. So I'm going to go through briefly what they mean for the benefits of our entire, entire audience. For diagnostic radiology, for diagnostic radiology, we use ionizing radiation and non-ionizing radiation, such as in plain radiography, where plain radiography the images are static. Basically, plain radiography is a representation. The human body is 3D, and we represent it in a 2D form. We also have fluoroscopy, which is s ray equipment used for continuous imaging. So we have dynamic images. We can also have angiography, where we use for the visualization of arteries and veins, and normally it is supported by contrast material, which enhances the visualization of these structures. We have specific applications, like in mammography for breast cancer detection. And as we all know, this month has been uh, adjudged as the breast Cancer Awareness Month. So, mammography is one of the tools which can be used for breast cancer screening and detection purposes. So we encourage all our women to take up the challenge of getting themselves screened in this month of October. Pink month. Then for pediatric radiology, where we image patients, there is a need for a special care for them, as indicated earlier. We also have complementary imaging modalities, such as computer tomography, Magnetic resonance imaging, ultrasound, and then we also have nuclear medicine, where we use isotopes to scan. Where we use isotopes, radiopharmaceuticals So we 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 mix we mix a drug and then an isotope to get a radiopharmaceutical to scan patients and also use it also for treatment. Next slide, please. So these are some images of X-ray uh, equipment and then an image of a CT man. So what is nuclear medicine briefly? In nuclear medicine, we use a radiopharmaceutical to address a clinical problem. The radiopharmaceutical that are used are detected externally. So what happens is we combine a drug and a radioisotope, and then we administer it to a patient. And then it will organize, it will localize in a specific organ of interest. And then after that, we scan with and equipment such as a gamma camera or PET scanner or space seat. So what happens in this scenario is that the patient now becomes the source of exposure. And out of the, the, the cameras, of course, work in conjunction with computers to generate the image that is required. And the dose received can be can be common or is similar to what we get from diagnostic X-ray examinations. So what are some of the next slide, please, what are some of the indications in nuclear medicine? diagnosis and treatment of hyperthyroidism cardiac stress cardiac stress test to analyze heart function bone scans for metastatic growth lung scans for blood clots and etc so these are some of the indications which nuclear medicine can be used to address next slide please so we can have diagnostic nuclear medicine and therapeutic nuclear medicine so for the diagnostic nuclear medicine First of all, there is a request of the next next slide, please. There is a request of the examination. So this is the process. After that, then there's a prescribed activity. So a nuclear medicine physician. This is a doctor who is specialized, who has had a specialist training in nuclear medicine, who will admit who will prescribe an activity. And then an imaging technologist or a technologist who will prepare the radiopharmaceutical. And then after that, it will be administered. After the administration, then it will be examined. So you, the patient will be scanned through the gamma camera or the space CT, depending upon the type of equipment that you have, and then there will be an evaluation and report. So this is what happens in diagnostic nuclear medicine. For the prescribed activity, what do we mean by a prescribed activity? A prescribed activity of a radio pharmaceutical is that activity documented in a rating directory. So just as we are giving prescription on the paper, the same way also. So this activity will have to be prescribed in the patient's folder. Next slide, please. For the therapeutic procedures, the objective is to administer a prescribed absorbed dose to the target tissue. So when we talk about absorbed dose, it is the amount of energy of the ionizing radiation that will be de- deposited per unit mass in the tissue organ. So since we are aiming at the therapeutic outcome, it means an absorbed dose will have to be administered to the target tissue or the organ. And most of the times, the, the purpose, the reason is for the tumour to shrink or for the tumour to, to reduce. Again, in nuclear medicine therapy, this is the flow. There is a request for the examination, there is a prescription of the absorbed dose, and then there is a determination of the biokinetic data, there is a preparation of the pharmaceutical and the activity, and it is administered. the treatment is administered to the patient. And then also there is a patient follow-up. Sometimes you have to do a follow-up to find out how the patient is faring, whether the patient is reacting to the radio-pharmaceutical the, 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 the that has been administered or not. So what is the prescribed dose? The prescribed dose is the absorbed dose that is aimed to give a desired therapeutic effect on an irradiated tissue or organ. And lastly, radiotherapy. The next slide. For radiotherapy, one of the main treatments, is one of the main treatment modalities in the management of cancer and often it is done in combination with chemotherapy and surgery. And it's assumed that about 50 to 60% of all cancer patients will benefit from radiotherapy. So it's one of the major modalities, interventions that is used to manage cancer. What are some of the indications of radiotherapy? I think from the cancer incidence data, you saw some of the indications, but some of the indications are head and neck cancers. Next slide please, gynecological cancers, post cancer, other pelvic management malignancies such, such as aderetium and bladder, adjuvant breast treatment, brain cancers, and then palliation. By palliation, in our hospitals, in a lot of our countries, most patients report very late where they are diagnosed with advanced stages of, 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 of the cancer. So when it happens like that, they give palliative treatment to reduce the pain, to ameliorate the pain at the advanced stage, nothing much can be done. So you give palliative treatment. So at this juncture, we will now go into the, briefly into the international arena or the international framework of radiological protection. We will come to the national and then some of the things that has happened during the COVID and then we conclude. So from the international framework of radiological protection, the reason why it is important is that we use ionising radiation a lot in medicine, as we have all seen. So there is a the need to put in place strong regulatory infrastructure, so that it can be used safely, so that the risk of deterministic effects will be reduced, will be minimized, as well as that of stochastic effects. Deterministic effects are effects which occur over a, dose, a, a, a threshold of a dose. So once Someone is exposed beyond a certain threshold of a dose, say 10 gray, the effect is likely and bound to occur. But for the stochastic, there is no threshold per se. But the effect increases with, with 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 the it's independent of the severity. And it can happen in the exposed individual or his or her descendants. So we have three key organizations: the International Commission on Radiological Protection. They come out with the philosoph- the philosoph- philosophies and the principles, ethics. And then we also have the International Atomic Energy Agency. I think you have heard a lot about the IEA throughout the whole day. So they come out with the standards and also ONSCIA. ONSCIA, as I indicated earlier, is one of the United Nations committees, and they advise the United Nations on global uh, database usage of energy radiation for all procedures and so on. And next slide, please. All these organizations came together and came out with what we call the International Basic Safety Standards or what we call the BSS. The BSS sets out the fundamental principles that all of us must follow when it comes to the use of ionizing radiation. So sometimes we call it the bible of radiation protection and currently it it's it, it undergone through a lot of review and currently we are using the BSS, what we call the General Safety <laughs> Requirements Part 3 which was published in 2014. That is what we are using. So in terms of current standards and recommendations, we have more than enough. All that we have to do is to adhere to them to the best of our ability. For the basic safety standards, it is mandatory for member states of the IAE. And then of course, let let me also mention that the European Union also have their BSS, which is applicable to countries in the European Union. Next slide, please. Next slide. So when we take Ghana, for instance, the national regulatory infrastructure is in the nuclear regulatory authority at 895 of 2015 as was indicated in the morning by the director general of the nra and this sets out the principal requirements in the law now after that comes regulations the regulations outlines detailed requirements so as compared to the main at which sets out the fundamental or the principal requirements is the regulations then also the regulatory authority will come out with guides and codes of practice for various practice-specific applications. So for instance, when you talk about shielding and nursery departments, they can come out with a guide or a course to address this concern. Or when it comes to tradition protection, and, and pregnancy of the staff, they can come out with specific guides and codes to, to, to guide us. So these are practice-specific requirements for guidance. Next slide. And the functions of the regulatory authority include, they establish the regulatory program. They undertake inspections. They undertake enforcement. Establish an emergency response program. Requires that only appropriately trained and qualified personnel use radiation sources and radiation-emitting devices. So these are the, broadly, their functions. On the principles of radiation protection, we have justification, next slide. We have justification optimization and those limitations. So justification means that for every practice, we have to look at the benefits and the risks. And for the optimization, all that we have to do is, the amount of those that is to be delivered the, and, and and the likelihood of the exposure must be in line with the as low as reasonably achievable principle, economic and social factors being taken into consideration. And those limitations is applicable to occupational and public those limits are not applicable to medical exposure. So for medical exposure, the concept of diagnostic reference levels have been been suggested by ICRP and other bodies. Next slide, please. But however, we live in a real world and the context is that there's a lot of uh, unjustified exposures going on. Sometimes there are reports in the newspapers of uh, advertisement for radiological screening and all those things. Next slide, please. So this resolution, came out after International Radiation Protection Conference in Medicine in Bonn, Germany, 2012. And then they came out to define, uh, they use the three A's, what they called awareness, appropriateness, and audits when it comes to justification. Next slide, please. And for the optimization, there are several tools, and I've listed some of them here. So for instance, the concept of diagnostic reference level. Normally, diagnostic reference levels are arrived after a wide national dose survey. It could be professional bodies, the regulatory authority, and then they will come out with a, a value after a wide dose survey. And they will use the 75th percentile of the distribution of the dose survey. And it is supposed to be a benchmark for practitioners. Then we also have those constraints. There are also design considerations which can be used as an optimization through operational considerations, patient dosimetry, that is patient dose assessment, then calibration of equipment. You know, as In ionizing radiation, we cannot see or fill it. We detect with instruments. So the instruments that are deployed in the field must be calibrated so that it must give a good response to what they measure in the field. And then quality assurance. Quality assurance is the holistic uh, approach so that at the end of the day, the patients, our patients will be assured of a certain quality of service. So quality control is a subset of quality assurance. And normally, For protection purposes, we are supposed to discriminate control areas and supervised areas for protection purposes. And audits. Next next slide. Audits can also assist in the optimization process. Next slide, please. Audits. So when it comes to audits, the IAEA has these three documents. Uh, The first one is in nuclear medicine, quantum, one is in radiotherapy, quadru, and then the other one is in diagnostic radiology, quadru. So these are documents. If in case any member state wants to embark on an audit, they can rely on these documents for guidance. And in Ghana, we have had some audits in Ghana. Next slide. We have undertaken some audits in Ghana. So these are some audits in diagnostic radiology. Uh, Audits are not supposed to be a regulatory tool. It is supposed to help us to improve upon what we are doing. So it is not supposed to be used for regulatory purposes, although there is a regulatory audit. But in this, for this discussion, it not non-regulatory that we are discussing. So we are now talking in diagnostic radiology, next slide, and also in with the assistance of the International Atomic Negatives. So now let's come to the nuclear medical techniques during COVID-19. Sterilization of medical equipment. I think uh, the, 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 the last two presenters, uh, the last but two presenters mentioned about that. So uh, can you please go back? Kindly go back, yes. So sterilization of medical equipment. So we use system to sterilize medical equipment such as guns, syringes, gloves, and other diseases during COVID-19. And it's faster, and you could do you, you, you could do your sterilization within a day as compared to other techniques, which will take longer time. And in nuclear medicine, also, there were services for cancer patients throughout the pandemic. Uh, because there uh, there is is continuous diagnosis and treatment, although the pandemic came, but still we continue to get sick and we have to treat people and diagnose people, diagnose our patients. So there were still nuclear medicine services. And then also there are some clinical trials underway, such as to use low dose radiation therapy targeting COVID-19 patients. And then development of technology, some scientists, engineers, were also trying to see how best we could come out with some, uh, using some off-the-shelf, easily accessible, automatic uh, ventilator. Next slide, please. For radiology, nuclear medicine and radiation oncology practices, the COVID really posed a challenge to us because how do we protect our staff and also our patients? So this was the dilemma. How do you continue with the services uh, while at the same time you protect your staff and then your patients? So the IAEA, the, the the World Health Organization, and other bodies came out a lot with a lot of practical consideration and challenges and guidelines, and other together with professional bodies to see our best. We streamline our procedures so that at the end of the day we can continue to deliver uninterrupted service and also protect our patients and staff. So basically, issues of infection control became very paramount in our uh, standard operating procedures. Also, the need for staff and public to adapt to the changes became an issue in some facilities then psychological adaptation and there were also ethical and legal issues computer tomography was what next slide please computer yeah, okay, you are there computer tomography CT was one of the main tools which was used to diagnose COVID-19 associated complications in the lungs uh, computer tomography scanning and other Centers where they had the hybrid imaging, such as PET CT, CT, they dedicated the CT component to also do scanning for their patients so that it will, reduce, it will reduce the pressure on the main radiology CT scanners. All these things were done. Next slide. Again, uh, uh, courtesy of the Federation of African Medical Physicists organization, FAMPO, through our newsletter. A lot of our member states also reported on how they were adapting to the COVID uh, pandemic. And the SFs are there. And if you can go to the website of FAMPU newsletters and then you read the details. There were also there were other next slide. There were other publications also from the and uh, so these are the IAEA webinars which were organized. As we know, during the pandemic, a lot of webinars and the IAE and other bodies also organized a lot of webinars. These are some of them. And then other people on next slide, other agencies and other individuals also came out with other publications and other things. So post-COVID, what should we do? Unfortunately, we are not out of the COVID yet. So I'm unable to address, I I, I will attempt, we are still in the COVID, but going forward, uh, we have to implement some of the best practices which have been shared from best people, best organizations, such as there is the need for implementation of a robust COVID-19 screening program for staff and patients. So we have to continue to implement staff screening, patient screening, cleaning and disinfection of equipment, the equipment that we work with, and promotion of hygiene measures, and then the use of information technology to disseminate information and other things. When you do that, you reduce the physical meetings. So these are some of the things that we have to... So in conclusion, next slide, in conclusion, according to John Garman, President and CEO of the Canadian Nuclear Association, we stand at a moment in time where industries across the world must be agile and creative. So there is the need to be agile, there is the need to be creative, there is the need for us to explore additional ways by which we can find solutions and drive medical innovation in the midst of the pandemic. And finally, the the last slide, we have to make recommendations based on a typical patient journey through the department, how we can minimize the risk to staff, patients and family members as well, how we can control the transmission of the virus, and why we continue to offer the critical services that our people need. So we also urge our governments in Africa to continue to support access so that we can have access to diagnostic imaging equipment and radiotherapy machines. Because as we saw from the data, the incidence of cancer is bound to increase. But when we when we have more access to diagnostic imaging equipment, what it means is that detection detection will be enhanced. And when detection is enhanced, of course, treatment of diseases will also be enhanced. Or should also be enhanced. Of course, research and development must also continue. So on this note, I want to thank you very much for your attention. Please, do we have any questions for our speaker? Okay, there's a hand up. Hello, good evening. Hello, good evening. Um, in as much as we are all working um in our respective capacities to s- ensure nuclear game is achieved in Africa, and I also want to know, is there any casualties in the application of nuclear in medicine? Are there... That's one. Are there any... Waste and uh, are there any waste in the uh, application of nuclear in medicine and how are these waste treated? Thank you. All right. Thank you very much for your question. The issue of casualties. Uh, there are two main. There are two main effects when ionizing radiation interacts with tissue. There can be deterministic effects and there can be stochastic effects. For the deterministic effects the effect is bound to occur in the exposed individual after a certain threshold of those is exceeded. So for instance, if you exceed 10 grade for a particular part of the area exposed, you can have some effects such as re- skin reddening or what you call a and other effects. Other effects can also uh, uh, manifest. If it does not occur where we don't exceed the limits, the effect may come later in the exposed individual or is for a descendants. we call that stochastic effect. And in imaging, in interventional radiology procedures or fluoroscopically guided procedures, there have been reports of patients having uh, side effects and reactions after a procedure so they are they they, they have some casualties have been reported even in radiotherapy too radiotherapy too. sometimes some of the patients react to uh, react after the exposure to energy radiation so definitely there are casualties i don't know if i've answered the question on the casualties yes yes you did the second one the second one was on waste by waste you mean waste of resources Or waste management. Like for example, for nuclear plants, we know that there there is waste, and that waste is very difficult to be controlled, disposed. I think you understand. You mean radioactive waste management? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Radioactive waste management is also one of the areas under radiation protection. And that one too, there is a lot of stringent measures in place to manage weight. For instance, at the nuclear medicine department in the hospital, normally we use sometimes what you call delayed decay. By delayed decay, if a patient undergoes through iodine therapy for instance, you have to isolate the patient. So the patient is in a confined place and then the the, the clothing and the, uh, the, the, the saliva, the urine and all those things, ideally should even be segregated. It should not be joined to the main waste. And then after the patient is discharged, the clothing and all those things are collected, kept at a, at a segregated place. And the physicists will have to monitor. we we'll have to monitor the radioactivity levels until the activity falls before they are disposed and all those things. So in the nuclear medicine units, where they do iodine therapy or nuclear medicine therapy, there are specific radiation protection procedures in place. But on the larger scale, as like uh, getting nuclear, Power, that one to the 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 issue of the waste. The, 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 there's a whole international convention on how to manage such waste and all these things. So the nuclear industry is highly regimented, and if all the safety principles and things are applied, it should be one of the safest to 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 to, to use. Well, there's a, a hand up, so we'll take a question from. Okay, uh, my curiosity was raised when you made mention that uh, there are casualties and the. Uh, process of uh, using uh, uh, nuclear stuff for medicine uh my question is um, uh is there any way to reduce uh, the 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 casualties there's one two um these are some of the things that make people uh, feel uh, they have issues with uh application of nuclear science and technology and let alone in medicine so I trying to explain to a layman how do you explain that uh, these casualties uh uh or the 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 important aspect of the 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 application is uh better than or higher than the 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 casualties thank you thank you very much for your question there there are principles that are put in place so the first principle is called justification principle by justification principle a medical practitioner or a nuclear medicine physician or a radiotherapy he will have to give the request for the examination so for instance if you need a chest x-ray a medic- a physician will have to give you will have to refer you you can't walk to a hospital and independently or on your own demand for a chest x-ray or a CT scan so this the justification principle means that they have to weigh the benefits and the risks so for instance if the doctor says he needs a chest x-ray will it benefit you so so the first principle is justification one of the issues that also is considered in justification is that if for instance the person is a pediatric patient because of the potential risks, can the doctor use other sources apart from ionizing radiation other sources like ultrasound magnetic resonance imaging ultrasound uses high frequency sound waves which are inaudible to the human ear in magnetic resonance imaging we put the patient in a strong magnetic field the human body is made up of about 70 percent of water so Water is made up of hydrogen and what, oxygen. In terms of the individual elemental composition. So when you put the patient in the strong magnetic field, the 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 the, the, the magnet aligns the hydrogen. The hydrogen aligns itself to the magnet. They pick the signals, and then out of that, through radio frequency points, which are placed on the part of that is being scanned, an image is generated. Magnetic resonance imaging is non-ionizing. So so these are. All Part of the justification, after the justification, we don't rest there, we come to optimization. So, optimization, for instance, my very good friend, uh, patients <laughs> is a radiographer by profession uh, now, now in higher pursuing <laughs> higher degrees. So, at the hospital, an embedding technologist so radiolo- or a radiographer who has been trained on how to position a patient who position you and administer what the doctor said. The doctor said go and scan, I want a chest scan. So he will position you, she will position you, she will allow you an appro- and apply the appropriate technique factors to expose you. So that is optimization in a day-to-day radiological procedures. There is also optimization in the design of the facility. By design of the facility, for instance, the room size, because one of the main sources of scatter is the patient. And one of the practical ways of radiation protection is distance, time, and what shielding. So if your room size is very big, the distance between the S-ray tube and the operator will be maximized. So there is optimization in the design of the facility. Then there's also optimization in the equipment. The equipment should be manufactured according to international standards, International Electrotechnical uh, Commission requirements. We don't even stop there after optimization. Also, the concept of diagnostic reference levels for medical exposure is also there. So if we follow all these things, we will reduce the the the, the, the potential casualties, even I may use that word. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Incombe. Um we are no question. We are far behind time. Dr. inkum will be around tomorrow, God willing as well, with Dr. Hasford for one of our plenary sessions. So you get the opportunity to, cause you're gonna talk again about medical applications and nuclear technology. So you do get opportunity to ask your question again. Please write it down, don't forget it. I'll ask you tomorrow so that you can share your question. All right.